This is The Price of Immigration. My peers and I put together this podcast to shed light on the hard work and persistence our families have gone through. Each of us has a story to tell that contributes to who we are and how we view the world. I will begin with my story, The Thankless Providers. I love money so much that I was managing my own money at 8 years old. I kept a stack of cash behind one of my paintings that was hung on the wall, and I caught that my savings. I also had a spending stack in my plastic Hello Kitty wallet that I brought with me every time I left the house. I got money from family members, but I also had a job, or it was a job to me at least. My grandparents started a farm when I was in third grade. They told me we'd be selling strawberries and that I would finally be able to put my skills to use from playing pretend store with my cousins. Our farm was perfect. The men in the family worked in the fields while my grandma worked cashier and took pride in everything she sold. Her energy and smiles always transferred to every customer she helped. Behind her, the women sorted and packed our berries. As the only kid at the time, I observed all the different tasks my family did. I picked our strawberries and carried them to the shack where I sorted the good berries into green baskets to be sold. I put overripe berries into a separate bucket that was later made into homemade jam. Sometimes I visited my grandma at the front to watch her greet customers with her contagious smile. She was so bubbly in every interaction. Everyone that helped out at her farm got extra pocket money because the customers tipped my grandma so well. Conveniently, we were located on the side of the highway in the American Canyon. As each year passed, our farm became known as the Seychelles Strawberry Patch, and we had regular customers. At the end of our second year of selling, I had to move. I was going to live with my mom in another city, and I figured that the farm would continue its success with everyone still pitching in. I was only able to be there during the summers, and when I did, my grandparents would give me 60 to to $100 a day just for keeping them company. I love money, but I never wanted it from them. I was forced to take it. I was mature enough to understand that the real workers deserved it most, and maybe that's why I managed my money so well. I valued every dollar. After about four years of selling, my family opted out of the farm. The assembly of a whole team diminished into an impassioned duo. Of course, I would help for the summers that I was there, but that wasn't enough. One summer, both my grandparents were in the fields, and I was older, so I was left to manage the shack alone. My grandpa made sure never to go deep into the fields. He always stayed towards the front to keep an eye on me. When my grandparents would return from the fields after two or three hours of bending under the sun, I always had cold water ready for them. I saw their eyes close as they gulped their waters, and after they finished, they told me they were going back to the fields. I didn't want them to go. Their ambition stung my heart every time. I wanted to applaud them and show that I looked up to them, but I cared for the health, most importantly. So I'd say something like, I think this batch is enough, and if we run out, I'll go pick. But they'd object, it's too hot for you in the fields. Sometimes my grandpa worked in the front too. He sold, but he wasn't as friendly as my grandma. Once, I overheard a customer speaking loudly over him, so I went to see what was happening. When I got to the front, a white man was standing facing me. My grandpa was explaining how our prices were final. The man mocked the way my grandpa mispronounced Turdy Tree under his breath. I was offended and said, What was that? He only looked at me and handed my grandpa two twenties. My grandpa dismissed it, but the interaction left me bothered. I was getting older, the farm was losing business, and my grandparents were becoming old, and people were becoming condescending too. On my own, I recognized that people felt greater than my family and me because we were farmers.
Our family farm was independent, and we sold organically grown produce for local communities. But some people didn't see labor and commitment. They saw a store owned by a foreign Asian family, easy to leech off of because we didn't seem like the typical American. We were judged based on the way we dressed, the way we spoke, the way we looked. Just because we were different, we were automatically deemed lesser. My grandparents don't work anymore, and we don't have the farm anymore either. Even though it's gone, the farm has always been an important part of my childhood. I still reflect and appreciate how it made me conscious of social issues. It's the reason why I want to aim my career towards helping people, and why I want to use the privilege that I have to advocate for others. I experienced firsthand what it felt like to be dehumanized and undermined, because people didn't know what went on behind our shack. As consumers, we forget that we can conveniently pick and choose what produce we want. But now, every time I eat a piece of fruit, I think about the different hands it went through to be created, while I had a pri the privilege to just trade a few dollars for it. And now, every time I see a dollar, I keep it, but I also value every penny of it. Next, my peer Krish is going to be sharing his story about his hardworking father. My eyes slowly opened to the loud sound of applause, and on my mother's lap, I winced as the bright lights hit my eyes. Suddenly, I bolted up, remembering where I was. Turning to the right, I saw my dad, dressed up with his graduation gown, ready to get his master's. In the middle of the ceremony, my dad's boss calls. Hey, Prasid, he says. So, Verizon loved your 4GE LTE project, and we would love to have someone to pitch and seal the deal. I would do it, but unfortunately, I am about to board a plane, and I won't be getting any signal from up there. I was hoping you could do it. After all, you are one of its creators. My dad looks to his side, seeing my slightly annoyed mom, who knows that despite what she wants, he will drop everything, even this important event, for his work. Of course, I would love to give them a quick pitch and seal the deal, he says, as he gets up and walks out the back door of the auditorium, wired headphones in his ears. My mom, understandably frustrated, was worried that he would miss his name when they were calling graduates up to the stand. My dad's last name started with S, so we hoped that would give him enough time to make it back. They started with A and slowly worked their way towards S. And as time went on, my mother and I grew more and more impatient. Eventually, they reached R, and we were certain that he would miss his name. But suddenly, he comes, running from the side of the auditorium, headphones still in his ear, and lines up as the next one to take a stage. Even in his graduation picture that they took that day, you can see the wired headphones dangling from his neck. This is just but one of the stories that show how my dad will drop everything for his work, not for his satisfaction, but so that he can take care of my mom and I. As a kid, I always remembered how everyone thought of my dad as an easygoing and very laid-back person. While this is a large part of his personality, behind that mask is a man that no one except our family sees. Every waking moment, he focuses on his work, not just because he enjoys it, 
but because he wants me to live a better life than he did growing up. My dad came from a fairly poor family and essentially worked his way up to, co to coming to America with only $1,000 and a computer science degree from a very small college in India. When I was young, to provide for both my mother and I, he would work his day job at Samsung while simultaneously doing a two-year master program at UT Austin. My room used to be right next to his office room, and I remember that when I couldn't sleep, I would go to his office and fall asleep listening to him go on and on with his coworkers. For a large portion of my life, I definitely took his hard work and dedication for granted. But as, but as I grew older, I realized that everything he does is to make sure that the life I live is better than what he had to deal with growing up in India. Everything he has done since moving to America has been to help me live a good life. And when I realized that, I held a lot more respect for him as my father. Overall, I learned that hard work and dedication to become a man like my father is extremely hard. And one day, I hope that my children will think of me as I think of my father. Now, Ivan will tell his parents' immigration story. During the final days before I left for college, I sat down with my mom and talked. She expressed to me that she felt she hadn't done enough to prepare me to live on my own, that she had sheltered me from growing up, but I disagreed. For over 18 years, my mom put on all the effort to provide for not just me, but for the full family. It started with crossing the border from Mexico to the U.S. with my oldest sister. From there, it was a vicious cycle of working various jobs, which usually included late nights cleaning at smaller businesses or packaging factories for fruits and vegetables, often for very little pay in relation to the labor put in. Because she had come here illegally and couldn't speak Spanish, it was difficult, if not impossible, for her to find a stable, regular job. From a young age, I never understood why we moved so much for a certain period of time. It felt like we would move into one place one day and out the next. In actuality, we had only moved three times, but it wasn't until a few years ago that I understood what had happened. The reality of the situation was that it was around 2008 when it occurred. We had lost our home because of the Great Recession. Despite this overwhelming situation, my mom made an effort to provide for us. As soon as she would return from work, she would be cooking and cleaning for us while my oldest sister watched us and helped around the house. She had done her best to carry the weight of the situation on her shoulders so that we could focus on our education, something that she had hardly received. She wanted what was best for us. That was the whole reason for coming here. Even as time would go by and we eventually grew into a family of seven, my mom, my stepdad, my two older sisters, and now my two younger sisters, my mom still tries to provide for us. She never stopped working, often to the point where she exerts herself. We take care of the younger siblings and the house while also working, and do our best to support her with tasks that heavily rely on the English language. But a lot still relies on my mom, such as cooking, and even getting us to be more productive. My mom had put in all of this work for us because she wanted us to have a better life and opportunity than she had growing up. Back home, she spent most of her time helping her family on their farm, often having to miss out on an education. As she grew older, 
and had a child of her own, she realized that it would be hard to raise a family here. Even if it was a familiar place to her, there was just not as much opportunity to make money and the possibility to move up in society like it was in the U.S. She had done more than enough to get me to the point where I am. She was the only one who constantly pushed me to do better in school. She often encouraged me to go out with friends when I felt like just staying home. All of those things were only possible because she took the burden so that I and all of my siblings could reap the benefits and explore what opportunities this country had to offer. I had told her that I want to study physics, but as I grow older, I can't help but also want to pursue some type of career that can support her and others who share her struggle. Anything works as long as I can give back even half of what she gave to us. And finally, Cynthia will tell her story about a family she once knew. It was a warm morning with the promise of oven temperatures for the afternoon. As I parked into a shady spot, I could already see the bright and sparkly ribbons from the Music Academy's window. Yesterday, Miss Helen had asked me to come early to help decorate it for Olivia's fifth birthday party. As I stepped into the main classroom, I saw other Chinese moms helping decorate by blowing up and arranging the balloons, taping the sparkly ribbons to the wall, and adjusting the ginormous Elsa and Anna banner. They were chatting and laughing, sharing stories about their children. Miss Helen noticed me immediately and asked if I could help blow up the gold and silver balloons because everyone was having trouble with them. I agreed and proceeded to blow five of each color. Once the balloons and main decorations were set, Miss Helen dragged me off to go goodie bag shopping, intent on finding the very best stickers, little toys, and trinkets for the party. We visited Target, Daiso, and finally Party City in order to gather all the materials needed for that perfect party. Once we arrived back at the music school, I finished setting up the goodie bags just as the first few after-school kids were starting to show up. William, Avery, and Xiao Maizi immediately noticed the sparkly ribbons, balloons, and well-decorated classroom and asked what it was for. Miss Helen replied, Today's Olivia's birthday. Did you guys bring her any presents? At this, the trio realized they didn't have a present prepared. Miss Helen cleverly came up with a solution, saying, Well, you could create a group birthday card for her. Here, I have a beautiful birthday card you can use. William was the first to write in the card, writing, You are funny, Olivia. To this day, I can't figure out if that's meant to be a compliment or an insult. Everyone else ended up writing something along the lines of Happy Birthday, Olivia, in big, messy handwriting. While they were writing, I wrapped up an Elsa-themed hairbrush and a Paw Patrol toy of Sky in pink wrapping paper. At 3.30, the group of elementary school kids came, along with the very special birthday girl. Each and every one of these the girls was dressed in an adorable princess skirt, while the boys just wore casual clothing. However, before the party could start, before the playing and eating could begin, the parents needed the most important part of the setup. The pictures! Miss Helen, Mr. Dung, and the other parents had a heck of a time catching and holding on to those five-year-old attentions. While the girls would just sit there fidgeting impatiently, the boys would have none of it and promptly ran to the library. Eventually, the parents gave up and settled on taking pictures of the girls, who had the prettier outfits anyways. And with the pictures taken, the party could commence. The next day, 
When I came in to help with the after school, Miss Helen and Mr. Dung were already there, cleaning up the remains of the party. Miss Helen was hoping to squeeze in my solo singing lesson before the after school kids arrived. However, the mess created from the party required much more cleaning. As we removed the banner, sparkly ribbons, and balloons from the wall, Miss Helen told me, I let Olivia stay up late because it was her birthday, and she was super happy with the birthday party, but as a result, Dung and I ended up sleeping at three. It was during my time TAing there that I realized the insane amount of work Miss Helen and Mr. Dung had to put in to run their music academy. And I can tell you this, building a choir from scratch in a country where you don't speak the native language ain't easy. As immigrants, they were mainly comfortable with speaking Chinese. Looking back at it now, I'm surprised that Miss Helen and Mr. Dung managed to carve out enough time to prepare such a nice party. Mr. Dung is the director of three different choirs, and he has to plan out the songs he wanted to teach, check the recording homework students sent in, and plan for any competitions and events for the choirs to attend. Miss Helen, on the other hand, teaches all the piano and solo singing classes, as well as records audio guides for the choir. Despite the piano and solo singing classes Miss Helen had to teach and the comprehensive planning Mr. Thun needed for the various choir classes he taught, both went the extra mile to make sure Olivia's fifth birthday would be perfect. Thank you for listening to our podcast, The Price of Immigration, and thanks to Remy for giving us this opportunity to share stories about immigrant families who helped shape us.